that song right before the video had a line that just said that the empty tomb has spoken a greater word, a final word. And this morning, if there is nothing else that you hear in the next 20 minutes or so, uh, I'd love for you to know and understand this, that uh, the tomb is empty, so you don't have to be. Tomb's empty, so uh, all the things that we search for in life that are trying to fill whatever voids we have, you don't have to be empty because the tomb is. Which the story of Jesus and the story of Easter is this, there is a God that loves you more than you could ever imagine. And the privilege today that I get to share on this Easter Sunday about the resurrection is the greatest privilege I could ever have. And so many of you walked in here from different places and different stories and different lives. And uh, I pray that today as you walk out of here, you'll have a better understanding that there is a God, a creator of the universe that created you and loves you and sent his son to die for you. And at the end, I pray that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with him. For those of you who come to church regularly, we're going to be in the book called 1 Peter. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, 1 Peter 1. Uh, if you don't have them, it's fine. They're going to be on the screens uh, right behind you in just a few minutes. But uh, as we begin today, I was thinking about Easter. And now that I, I have three teenagers, uh, 18, 17, and, and 14, uh, last year I, I thought the Easter baskets were done because I thought, you know, they're kind of over that. But I thought they loved them. So I was getting ready to talk about uh, this illustration with my wife. And I said, you're giving Easter baskets this year, and she, right? And she said, no. She said they revolted against me last year. They didn't like anything I put in it. And so she said, I'm done. They just want money. And I'm like, <laughs> so do I. I understand that. That's a good thing. But uh, I don't know about you. I love chocolate. Chocolate's good. And, and I found out the hard way that there are two different kind of chocolate bunnies. I don't know if you knew that. But there's one that's, that's hollow, and then there's one that's solid. Which one do you think is, is solid? This one? No, it's the one that says solid on it. <laughs> That's solid milk chocolate. This thing weighs like over a pound. This is awesome. It'll take me three years to eat this. And this is a uh, bunny big ears right here. And it is hollow. It, it, it's empty on the inside. I don't know if you've ever been into it, but when I bite into them, most of the time they just kind of fall apart. <laughs> kind of crumbles in my hands. They, they look better on the outside with the packaging than the old solid chocolate, but, but deep down, this, this is what you want. This is cheaper. You get what you pay for. And I started thinking about that. Um, this is sort of like life. There's so many things that we, we go after and, and so many things that we want and, and so much that the world tells us and, and, and consumers and television and everything and media that you got to have this and, and this is just going to be awesome and you're going to be just satisfied. And yet, most of the time we get it and it just actually leaves us wanting more. It, it's hollow. It's kind of empty. It's good for a season. But it's not solid like this. It won't last. At least I hope some of you can't eat this all today. I hope it would last you a little bit longer. But Peter comes in, and he begins to talk to these uh, first-generation Jesus followers. They had uh, believed in this one Jesus, that he was who he said he was. And, and he begins to have a conversation with them, and, and he begins to help them understand uh, who Jesus was, but, but, but the price that Jesus paid for their life. And, and the story of Easter is really just this section of Scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. 
And Peter said these words, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was actually the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ you have come to trust in God. And you have actually placed your faith and your hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. That first verse, for you know that, that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited, and it wasn't just with mere gold and silver. Um, some of you might not know that, that there was a God in heaven that, that said you were worth something. That there was this thing called sin that separated you from God the creator, and he said, I'm going to send something, I'm going to send a ramp, and I'm going to pray a, a, a big price for you. What Peter was saying is your life hung in the balance. And God said, there was something that I need to do, and he stepped in, and, and he said, I paid a ransom. I paid the price for you. And he said, most of you understand something. You, you've inherited uh, this way of life. You, you've inherited something that's been passed down from generation to generation. And partly what he was talking about is, hey, you guys need to understand something. Uh, the law and traditions and the things that you're supposed to live by, all that's been passed down to you. This religion has been given to you. And, and at the end of the day, it's empty. I'm coming to, to tell you about something new. I'm not coming to continue something that has already been. I'm bringing something new into the world. And what I'm bringing in is a relationship with this one Jesus Christ. Many of you that sit in this room today grew up in a religious home like I did. And it's crazy how some people I have watched over the years love their religion more than the people for whom the religion was given for. They sometimes... And I would say the church, we, the organization, the institution, religion has actually hurt the people with the religion that was given to help the people. And I find it crazy sometimes that, that we wonder why these people don't want to come back to church, why they don't want to come and be a part of our religion. But yet somehow our traditions and somehow our, our laws and the things that we aren't supposed to do and the things we are to do and, and sometimes the shame that we put on people for what they have done, we have actually kept them from understanding and knowing this one Jesus because we pass down things that have been empty and things that have actually hurt instead of helped. And Peter says, you need to understand something here. There was a price that was paid for your life. And it wasn't mere gold or silver, something everybody can relate to here in this world. It wasn't some of the precious metals, some of the things that, that we long for, money, and things that would give us uh, comfort and value. He says, no, that's going to pass away. One day that's going to end, and it's not going to be worth anything to you. But he said, I'm, I'm talking about something new. There is a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, the creator of you, through his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, here is the answer to your emptiness. Here was the ransom that was paid in verse 19. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Not very often that we see precious and blood kind of put together. And for those of you who are not churchgoers or don't know the Bible, and for those of you who actually do, you still might have questions, well, what in the world is he talking about, this lamb of God? It probably makes no sense. And we talk about this precious blood, and we're going, well, what's all that? Well, well, Peter, being a Jew, was speaking to a Jewish culture, and, and they understood it really well. Because if you go back in time in what's called the Old Testament, and you look, there was these, 
these people that were uh, in Egypt and they were held as slaves. And, and part of slavery was they were going to be freed by Moses. He was going to take them out of Egypt into the promised land. And part of what happened at Passover, the Jewish holiday, was they would take this lamb, this spotless, perfect lamb, and, and, and they would sacrifice that as a way to say to God, I, I'm, I'm giving you my all, I'm giving you my life. And they'd take the blood of the lamb, they put it on the doorpost of their house to as a symbol or as a marking that they were going to serve God and honor him. And there was this lamb that was sacrificed. And Peter comes and he says, hey, there's a new way. It's not about the law and keeping the law, but it's about a relationship with Jesus. And, and he actually came as this perfect human being to earth. And he uses the picture of this spotless lamb that made sense to the listener. That's why John chapter 1, verse 29, he says these words, look, it's the lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. There was this new one that come that was paying a, a price for your sin. That no longer there was an animal sacrifice that was needed, but there was this perfect human being that came to earth and died for you and for me. Two things Peter's making clear. The first one is this, that Jesus came to redeem and to save you. And that he stood in your place and he stood for you. See, he emptied his life on a cross so that he might fill the emptiness that's deep within your heart. See, and he did it all for one reason, his unbelievable love for his creation. His name was uh, Lieutenant Arnaud Beltram. He was a, a French policeman. Two weeks ago, you might have seen the story of uh, a terrorist that took over a grocery store in a little town in France, had killed some people and was holding others hostages. When Lieutenant Beltram and his crew got on the scene and they began to negotiate with the terrorists, there was a young mom who had a two-year-old little child that was in as a hostage. And Beltram talked to the terrorists and said, I want to trade places with her. He had released another couple of hostages. She was still in there and he said, I want to trade places with her. I'll come in if you will let her come out. And the terrorists agreed and Beltram left his phone on so the policeman could hear the communication and what was going on inside. And this young mom of a two-year-old came out and Beltram, the officer, went in. And after a three-hour standoff, um, the terrorist shot him and then slit his throat. The autopsy said that is how he died and he gave his life so someone might live. In France, they're going to honor him as a, a hero. That mom will remember him, though, as someone who saved her life. That mom will always remember him as someone who traded places with her and stood in her place. There was a price for her freedom, and this officer paid it. God paid a ransom for you. He said there was a price that needed to be paid, and he sent his son, and he traded places with you on the cross, and he died in your place. He was your substitute and you might ask a question this season, why would he do that? Most of you heard John 3.16 that says, for God so loved the world. Those first words are why. And you might just want to substitute in the world your name because that's what it means. For God so loved Matthew Court. That he gave his one and only son. That if Matthew would choose to believe in him, that he would not perish. But he would have eternal life. I love this part when you don't know most of this. It's not on the, the big signs that they hold up at the, at the football games, but this is really the best part for all of you. It says this, for, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn 
Matthew Cork to condemn you, but he actually sent his son into the world to save them. That through him they might be saved. And I can only imagine when those, looked, those people that were at the crucifixion of Jesus and they saw him hanging on a cross and they looked at him, they thought, man, it, it's finished. He's done. If you know anything, he uttered three words. He said, it is finished, but he wasn't finished. He was actually just beginning. And he said he sacrificed this for you. There was a ransom that was paid. And then Peter goes on in the story and he says, hey, he was revealed to you. Verse 20, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Bible's really clear. If, if you look at these last days, he was revealed to you in these last days. Eternity has no time. Eternity knows no time. To God, there is no time. Seconds are minutes. Minutes are seconds. For us, we have this time that began, and one day this time will end. And we are in this time frame right now. And he says, before time began, when eternity was in existence... That God was preparing a way for you. That he had thought of you before you were ever you. See, you're not an afterthought. God was making a way for you. And I just need you to understand the scientific odds that you would be here today are ridiculous. You understand that, right? You're like one in 400 gazillion that you would actually be born. It's really one in 400 trillion, yet everything was aligned. It's your location, your people, history, nature, biology, all of it came together, and, and you were put on this earth. And before time began, in eternity, God said, I was thinking of you. And so today, I just want to tell you, you're unique. And don't tell me God doesn't have a plan for you. Don't tell me that, that God didn't make you on purpose for a purpose. See, Scripture says that you were created in the image of an almighty God. And today you matter. You're deeply loved by God. And he said he was revealed to you in this time and space, and this time is from Jesus' birth all the way until Jesus comes again to redeem all of mankind, that in this time he was revealed to you. So really, those last days, that's us. We're hanging out in this time period right now. Because one day, when Jesus comes back, eternity will begin again, and that time will not matter. And he goes on, and he says in verse 21, here's what happened. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and your hope in God, because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. God's faith in you and for you was proven because he sent his son to a cross. And if you've gone to church here at all, you have heard me say multiple times, if there was a guy that was crucified and he was buried and he predicted that he would rise again and it actually happened, I want to be on that guy's team. I don't want to be on the other teams. Those are the visitors. I don't want to be on that team. I want to be on his team because I believe he did what he said he was going to do. And Peter right here confirms that there was God who said, I sent my son to ransom you, to save you. And the reason you have faith in God the Father is because of what Jesus did. Not that he died, but that he rose again. And today you could come in here and say... Man, that's just a myth. It is a fairy tale, and you might not believe it, and I get that. But maybe you won't believe my words, but maybe you'd believe the words of somebody today who actually investigated the resurrection, who spent two years of his life trying to prove that there was no resurrection, and after the two years, 
it kind of actually did the exact opposite. Take a look at this man's story as you watch the screens and see how God changed his life. And when I was an atheist and legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, I would have smirked at the fact that Easter this year falls on April Fool's Day. Because back then, I thought that anyone would have to be a fool to think that Jesus literally rose from the dead. One day, my wife gave me the news that she'd become a Christian. And so I decided to take my journalism training and legal training and debunk the resurrection of Jesus. So I spent two years of my life analyzing the historical data. And what I found really shocked me. I recounted in my book, The Case for Miracles. First of all, I found that there's no dispute among scholars that Jesus was dead after being crucified. Uh, the famous atheist New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludeman, says it's historically indisputable that he was dead. The Journal of the American Medical Association says that based on the historical and medical evidence, that Jesus was clearly dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Second, we have early reports of the resurrection of Jesus. Reports that come so quickly, you can't just write them off as being a legend. In fact, we have one report of the resurrection, including named eyewitnesses, that has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus. Friends, that is historical gold. Third, we have the empty tomb, and I found that even the opponents of Jesus implicitly conceded that the tomb of Jesus was empty. And then fourth, we have nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus. Friends, that is an avalanche of historical data. And then we have seven ancient sources inside and mostly outside the New Testament that confirm that the disciples lived lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. Why were they willing to do that? Because they heard a rumor that he'd risen? No, because they were there. They touched him, they ate with him, they talked with him. They knew the truth. And knowing the truth, they were willing to proclaim it, even despite the suffering they endured. Friends, I spent two years investigating this evidence. And it came down to one day when I reviewed it all and I thought, you know what? Based on the historical data, my verdict is that Jesus not only claimed to be the Son of God, he backed up that claim by returning from the dead. And that's the moment that I decided to confess my sin, to turn from that, to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased for me on the cross. And at that moment, I became a child of God. This, uh, yeah. This last week, I was uh, at an event, and I was helping lead a prayer event for a bunch of pastors as we were praying for Easter in all of our churches. And uh, my friend by the name of Miles McPherson, who's a pastor of a church called The Rock in San Diego, he's a former San Diego Charger, um, he said something at this event that, that just stuck with me. And he said this, that, that football is the sport of heaven. And that's not what stuck with me, but he said football is the, the sport of heaven. And he said because um, in football, he said when a 200-pound guy takes the ball from the quarterback and he runs through the line and then he just gets drilled by two 300-pound guys and he's just laying on the ground and they're over him just looking up. He jumps up and he begins to talk smack to these bigger dudes. And then he goes back into the huddle, and he says to the quarterback, 
give me the ball again. And he goes, basketball, man, you get touched on the arm and you get two free throws. <laughs> baseball, you get brushed off the plate and you get to go like for free to first base. <laughs> Tennis and golf, there's nothing. <laughs> but football, you get, you get pummeled. And you get back up, and the guy goes, give me the ball again. And all of us have, have watched football. And when you see somebody just get nailed, we have a reaction or a wince, and sometimes we just kind of go, woo. Can you say that with me? Woo. That was pathetic. Can you say it again? <laughs> woo. Yeah, that's better. He was African-American. He did it really well, and he kind of had these emotions that were cool. So do it with me. Just have emotion with you, too. Go like this. Woo. You know the woo moment when somebody gets hit, and you're just like, woo. And, uh, that was the crucifixion. It said that, that Jesus went to a cross, and, and he hung, and, and he was beaten. And he was whipped, and the, the crown of thorns was on his head, and, and he was almost unrecognizable. And, and he stood on this cross, and everybody that was standing there probably were just like, whoa. It's almost more than they could bear in that moment. But see, he wasn't finished. He was just beginning. And really, the tomb is empty, so you don't have to be. And, and it wasn't a woo moment. Actually, what God did was he took the cross of Jesus, which was the woo moment when you looked on and you said, how could it be <laughs> that there would be this one who would actually die for me? And he took the woo moment, and guess what he did? He just made it a wow moment. And the wow moment was that Jesus actually is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do. And today, you just need to know something. The tomb is not empty because the living is not found among the dead. The tomb is empty today because death has no power over the author of life. The tomb is empty because Jesus just didn't come to die on a cross for your sin and leave you in that sin. He went to the tomb and it was rolled back and he rose again so that you would be victorious over your sin one day. See, the tomb is empty today because Jesus is alive and he wants to take your dead, empty life and bring life to you. See, the resurrection is at the central focus of what we call Christianity. And for me, at 49, I have based my life that Jesus is who he says he is. And I believe that he died and he rose again, and I believe he did it for me. And today, the resurrection, if it didn't happen, then my faith is for naught. But let me ask you if Jesus really did. What does it mean to you? Today, here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to understand and know this one called Jesus. See, crucifixion was this death by asphyxiation, and its aim was to steal the very breath of God and extinguish its power forever. But really what happened is that the risen Christ now breathes his life back into this empty and dying world, and he breathes it back into you and me. And that's what it means when we say this phrase in the church, that you were born again. Scripture says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And if we don't allow our past to die, we will never be fully alive. And some of you brought your past in that is killing you today. It has sucked the life out of you. 
and you have regretted and you have looked back and you have said, there is no way there is a God that loves me. And I just want to tell you today, that is false and that is a lie. And God is way more concerned with the future than he is with the past. In fact, he says, you are a new creation today if you choose to step over the line of faith. The old is forgotten. It's done. We carry the consequences. We carry the burden. But Jesus says, I came to lift that burden. And so the tomb is empty because he says, I am about the future and creating new life. And today he says, I want to begin it in you. See, the tomb is empty, and you don't have to be. So how does that happen? It's pretty simple because it isn't about you. It's not about religion. It's not about tradition. It's not about coming to this church. It's about a relationship with Jesus. All that other stuff's going to be empty. And this church will let you down. Because we're human beings, and I'm an imperfect, broken pastor, so I'm just like you. Welcome to the club. But one thing I know for sure is that Jesus went to a cross and saved my life, and I am betting my life upon it, and I believe today. And that's Easter, and I invite you into a relationship with Jesus. And it's as simple as this. It says this, that if you were to be a person that would confess with your mouth, if you declare Jesus with your mouth that he is Lord. And then, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. It doesn't say jump through a bunch of hoops. It doesn't say take a bunch of classes. It doesn't say have a perfect life. In fact, he says, I don't work with perfect people. <laughs> Check out the Bible. People are jacked up in the Bible. But that's because he knew who you were. And he knew who I was. That should give you hope today. Today, I invite you into a relationship with Jesus. And I ask today that you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart because the tomb's not empty. And you don't have to be. That, my friend, is Easter. And that is why we celebrate. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for people that have proclaimed today that as they were baptized, what they were saying is, my old life... I'm turning away from that, and I'm going to start anew. That God, what you did on the inside, they proclaimed on the outside, that they were being baptized into your life, a new life. That God, when they went under the water, they're saying, I'm dying to my old self. And when they came up, they were resurrected as a new person, not because of anything they did, but because of what you did on a cross, God. But you didn't stop there. You weren't finished. You gave us a wow moment, and you rose again. And so today, we can celebrate new life. So I pray over every person who has never made a decision to choose Jesus as their Savior, that today they would confess with their mouth, right now in their own way and in their heart, that you are Lord. That, they, that God, they would believe that you are who you say you are. And they would simply just say, Jesus, today I choose to believe. You don't force us. You don't coerce us. You just say, choose and so today, I pray, God, that many would just say, I believe, and that they would become your follower. And God, that you would begin to work your supernatural power in their life, and you would fill the emptiness and the void that has been there since birth. Thank you, God, that you paid a ransom for us. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us by rising from the dead. And thank you that, God, you're still doing miracles. And as Louise, at 92 years old today, proclaimed she was a follower of Jesus, it is never too late. 
So we celebrate today those that will be baptized. We celebrate those who today came in and weren't going to be baptized, but they're going to walk up and they're going to get uh, all wet because they've decided they're going to be a follower of you. Jesus, we thank you for that and we celebrate the resurrected life of Jesus. Thank you for Easter and thank you for this great day. It's in your name I pray these things. Amen.